Today, we are going deep into the process. This one is not for the comic book faint of heart. It is about the construction of the comic book pages that we hold so dear. We are going to talk about the talents and the virtues of the finisher, the embellisher. We're going to toss around a lot of terms today, breakdowns, layouts, pencils, inks. This is one of those comic book 101 episodes. It is deep, deep about the details, about the art, what separates comic books from novels and what separates great pages from mediocre. It is all about getting those finishes and admiring that embellishment on an all new episode of Rob Observation. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. I have been making comics for 37 years and counting. I have no intention of letting up anytime soon. I was uh, hired to create comics for the very first time in 1987. Saw my very first work printed in 1987 and have never looked back. Made comics uh, via illustrating them, writing them, inking them, producing them, and yes, even going to the actual printer and 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 watching and and assisting in the printing of them because I just wanted to have every facet of that covered. How many? Come on, how many publishers, artists, writers are flying to the printer to make sure that stuff comes off the press now? Little side note, little side note, uh, I've covered it here before, but if you've never uh, listened to any episodes or you've only listened to a few, in junior high, I was uh, trained by my my father who had a printing background prior to him going into ministry as a Baptist minister. My Our church had a print shop that was adjacent to the church, actually behind the property in a separate building, and we had two different printing presses. and. There was uh, the the shooting of the film, the developing of the film, uh, the the lathing of the film, and stripping of the film, and and then finally the burning of the plates and putting the plates on the press and printing from the plates. All those different steps I was trained in, and it became my job for two years. If there was a church bulletin, a uh, special insert card, a, a, a calendar, an announcement. Anything that could be generated from the print shop, I was responsible for. And this is the time that I learned about the different values of ink and adding water to the magenta or to the cyan, watering it down, or adding less water to to punch up the the actual colors of the of the of the different inks. It was a great job. It was fantastic. It was very time consuming. I knew the minute I had to go in and take you know photographs on the machine of each and every part of, of of the uh, the different pages the different mock-ups that would make up either the the bulletin or or the the inserts or the the different you know double-sided uh, announcement cards I would take those photos again then I would develop them in the dark room then once that was done I would take those and and there was a process called the the stripping and the lathing and then again uh, a different machine would handle the burning of the plates and and I'm single-handedly running all of these different departments. So after school, start at three o'clock, get home at nine o'clock, nine p.m. Uh, my 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 dad or my mom would come back and pick me up because I was literally 
13, 14 years old. So I had an appetite for uh, printing and understanding the ink and, 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 and how the ink can get darker or lighter. And if you take your eyes off the press now, now mind you, you're like, Liefeld, these are printing presses from 1979. That's right. In 1980, um, going as far as 1981. So these are, these are decades, four plus decades ago and, and digital printing and, and, and printing presses have radically changed the business. So it's not the same applications, but at the time, you know, learning printing presses in, in 1980, 81, and then being able to ask those same questions in 87, 88 and knowing and saying to my, my editors or my publishers, Hey, will you watch, you know, the way this is printed? Will you make sure that the levels, cause that's what it's called. The levels of ink aren't too much. And this doesn't burn, this doesn't print too dark. Uh, too dark is just, Oh, it's hard to come back from printing too dark. The, the most famous, uh, example of this is new mutants, 87. So, so, so literally the most famous example of this is something that I stumbled into myself in my career. Uh, I drew the cover, Todd McFarlane inked it. I, I, I forget who actually did the color. This is back prior to the computer coloring rendering that, that, that we have now. It's very basic, uh, four color printing process that per- personally sidebar, I totally loved. I, I love the way, uh, the work was, was created back then. There are copies, the copies that I got when I got New Mutants 87. And when I say I got New Mutants 87, there was a store called Adventureland in Fullerton uh, on Harbor Boulevard in between uh, Ornsthorpe and Chapman. The owner of Adventureland had invited me to go and pick up the comics as they landed at the distributor up in Los Angeles starting with issue number 86. And they would call me and say, hey, it's, uh, it's Thursday night because comic books were put out on Fridays. The switch to Wednesdays happened in the mid-90s. It was a big industry-wide alarm that went off and, and Diamond put out all manner of different, and, and Capital, the two different distributors at the time, put, all, put out all manner of you know understanding of why they were making this move. And in truth, again, if you were a child of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, record albums were released cassettes, whatever, new music, a new Taylor Swift, a new Deftones album, you know, a new country album, whatever it was, is Beyonce, you know, you figure it out. They were released on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is when new albums arrived at Musicland, Tower Records, you know, the department store, whoever carried different albums, cassettes, uh, Tuesday was the release. Then you'd get the entire week to sell it. The idea of moving to Wednesday, by the way, was just so that there would be more days in the actual week to to move those copies. So in just having Friday, and then Friday goes to Saturday, now you're getting a Wednesday release date. And then every day after Wednesday is leading into the weekend is extra days to sell the comic books that you've ordered. It was It was actually a really cool decision, but it was a shock. It was a shock to the system. But back in 1989, my retailer said, hey, if you want to hop in the truck and go, go up to the distributor and get the comics with me so you can have them fresh, you know, and, and get them in your hands before we put them out, you know, let's do it. So I did that. And I was so excited to get New Mutants 86. And one month later, we went up on that Thursday night to get, I, I mean, they, they went every Thursday night, no matter what, but New Mutants 87, we popped the the box is open. They're fresh from the distributor who got them fresh from the printer. And 
my copies were orange. And every copy that I saw, everybody pop up in their box, everybody in that LA basin, uh, the surrounding stores, Orange County, Riverside, Los Angeles, everybody who was using that distributor network, the copies were orange. I would then start going on the road and going to different store appearances and signing them. And and really, as I moved to the Midwest and I moved to the uh, the East Coast, you know, whether it was Chicago or whether it was New York, so you got the Midwest and the East, uh, I saw really dark red copies. Now, cable skin tone and the kids' skin tones in the gun sites had really not been uh, dra- drastically uh, darkened, but but literally a rich, very, very rich uh, red was on so many New Mutants 87s. And as opposed to then, the stuff that I had been used to seeing, and, and it didn't look like it printed light. The orange cover does not look like it printed, you know, too light. And the red cover doesn't look like it was printed too dark. They both look just right, but it is the product of a of a leveling. And that happens when, and trust me, I learned this the hard way, when you take your eye off the ball and suddenly in a matter of no time, especially with a small, a big press, as opposed to the small presses I had, thousands of copies can come off. Thousands of those cover sheets, because they're a, a separate stock and they're printed by themselves. They're not part of the giant web press, which is collating 24, 32 different you know, pages and, and printing four on each side of each seat, sheet. So you're getting eight. Again, very complicated, but the, the cover is just a single boom, boom, boom. You know, it, it, it's not part of the giant, what's called the guts of the comic. Everything inside the cover is called the guts. The New Mutants 87 cover is literally just, just, it is more likely that it was intended to be read and that the levels uh, got to a point midway through the printing press and it, and made it orange. But like I said, the line art is strong on both orange and red copies. And, and, and if you don't think uh, since 1989 that I have seen maybe all 115,000 copies of New Mutants 87, you bet you bet your bottom dollar I have. I have I have seen I feel like I've seen every single issue. I've been all around the world in that time and have signed so many. But again, that is where the printing and knowing the printing and I'm sure the guy saw that they were getting orange and maybe he leveled it back up and you got more reds or maybe it was too late and and the magenta and the cyan, all the different covers weren't, uh, all the different colors were not correctly, you know, allotted to during those those books going going through the 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 printer. And so what you got is a, a mix. And and I've, I've probably seen slightly more that are orange that are red. But again, the red ones are fun. The orange ones are fun. It's 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 it, they're not printed at separate times. They arrived, you know, in stores the exact same week. But some or juicier red, and some are more just a really, uh, what I would say, a rich orange. None of them, again, really want to stress, look like they were misprinted in, in terms of a too dark and a too light. Because when it looks too light and, 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 and the film is off, you would see that in the other registers. You would see that in the blues and the other uh, hues, the, the yellows, uh, as opposed to all, also the reds. So, man. Leveling up, making sure that the water and the ink were the the, the right levels, so they get to get the richest blue, the richest red, the richest yellow, 
uh, that I possibly could on on the, at the print shop that I worked at was something that really you know was 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 a great benefit to me going forward in my career. So we have just talked about that for eleven minutes, which is a precursor to the fact that this particular episode that you are listening to right now, this episode of Observations, is the most hardcore comic geek art uh, edition that I have I have really leaned into. I've done some what I call making of comics episodes, but this one is really going to get into the nitty gritty. We are really going to get into um, s- s- some some really minimalistic details that separate certain platforms of art. And so a lot of the times on our observations, I try and make it the broadest, uh, the, the broadest, most uh, digestible topics. Now, again, I, I, I don't go 100% into the the element that would be the broadest which which so many of the youtube set and other and other podcasters do it and, and more power to them go with god keep doing it doing doing your thing but it's it's leaning into the what i believe is the lowest hanging fruit which is the movie and streaming adaptations the live action stuff and there's actually an in likely my next podcast really really takes that concept uh head on wrestles with it head on because it is what I've discovered is the the biggest divide between uh, guys like me where I'm at and and what has been going on for the last really 15 years with comic book superheroes in the mass medium. But today we're not doing any of that. We're we're we're, we're embracing comic book pages, the actual art. Because again, as I've said, there is no comic books without the pictures without pictures we are novels and i am not in the novel business i am not in the screenplay business i may write a novel i may have written several screenplays but i am day in day out my passion my love uh, my pursuit is comic books comic book visual storytelling graphic storytelling graphic novels whatever moniker you want to put on it so Today, we are going to discuss, because this is a special request, and I'm going to call out a, a buddy of mine. So, so many, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled, honestly honored, touched, tickled. I think tickled is probably the best word. Tickled is an old man word, and I will use the word tickled. I will use tickled. Tickled is my, my uh, it, that is the best way to describe a gentleman named Philip Tan. Philip Tan is a wonderful illustrator, amazing talent, uh, a friend of mine. I, I, I really admire Phil. We've worked together several times in the last couple of years. I have watched his career grow over the last, feels like 27, maybe 30 years. Uh, Phillip's work has been seen in Hawkman from the New 52. It has been seen in Spawn for, uh, in the early 2000s, uh, late 90s, perhaps, uh, that he did work with, with Todd McFarlane in, in, in making the Spawn comics. Uh, it may have been the regular Spawn comic. It may have been Curse of Spawn, one of the Spawn families of titles. But he has uh, been around the world. He has really. The world of comics. He has uh, been doing all manner of of special covers, variants, uh, regular covers for for every publisher. Whatever the character Philip has contributed to it, drawn it. Batman, uh, Moon Knight, Wolverine, Spider Man, Venom. You've you've got a Philip Tan cover likely in your collection, and and they're they're badass. They're they're incredible. Uh, Philip has a very distinct style that he has developed, uh, which which incorporates a a wicked amount of of cross hatching and, and a very stylistic approach to the finishes. And what we're going to do today is we're going to really talk about the concept of finisher. Philip has asked me for the last three years since this podcast started, can you can you do can you do a, 
a podcast on finishing. Well, today is your day, Mr. Philip Tan. We are we are going to really embrace the art of the finishing of the finisher. I've got some examples. The examples that I got are a little aged, uh, but they're 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 some of the best examples that I can ever give to you as to the magic that a a really accomplished finisher can create. Now, Philip Tan has finished me. He has finished your host uh, as part of the fifth issue of G.I. Joe Snake Eyes, which really was me uh, making lemonade out of lemons. I had an inker who bailed on me uh, in pursuit of glory somewhere else that that it's debatable if that emerged. But uh, I had been working with a number of different anchors and, and, and they, they, they are easily uh, distracted. Squirrel, just like up, squirrel. Immediately, they're looking somewhere else. They're looking for, for, for some other uh, opportunity to, to, to go to the next level. My anchor had informed me that, that, that they were going to pursue another commitment beyond the commitment they had to the work that we had been doing together. So I had a, I had a decision to make. I had a decision to make. I, 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 I was like, well, I could ink uh, the entirety of this fifth issue as I had just done with the fourth issue because the deadline was bailed on earlier. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to send this to as many of my friends as I possibly can who will participate in this. And so I called up Wills Portacio. I called up Marat Michaels, Dan Frega, Dan Panosian, Philip Tan. I called up Kevin Eastman. I called up Neil Adams. Everybody came on board. And Snake Eyes number five is me, for the most part, doing what is called breakdowns. And we are going to really get into uh, kind of the science behind the application of what a breakdown is as opposed to a pencil. Now, we've done it before, but we've never done it this dedicated, this much airtime. So again, if you're, a, if you're somebody who wanted something broader and who wanted something more, uh, you know, I, I would call it more accessible, today we are really uh, just diving into the very specific processes, the process of making comic book art. The, the, and, and we're going to, while we talk about it, talk about what some of the appeal of different approaches entails. And so we're going we're to unwrap this uh, all together. And it's going to be a very technical or a very comic book oriented episode. And, 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 and we already did the, 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 the minutia behind ink and and trust me, back then, 1989, the water to to to, to uh, ink levels that was happening again today. With today's printing, it's completely different. It, it, completely different methods. We're in the digital age, but again, 1989 printing was not so far off of 1981 printing. We hadn't taken a giant leap in terms of printing yet, and we wouldn't for a couple more years. And that's when Image Comics happens. But again, I'm putting the cart way before the horse here. Today, we are talking about finishers and finishing. Philip Tan was one of the gentlemen I gave. Snake Eyes page two of all the different pages. And the pages really uh, turned out fantastic. Phillips is one of my favorite, along with Wills Portacios. They, they adhered to the pencils because what, I, what you do as a breakdown artist is you decide that it's not going to be the full uh, pencils, the, the, the tightest pencils that you could produce. Because you want to give room to that other artist and you, in fact, inform that other artist. Because every 
inker slash finisher because that this 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 falls into the guy who inks the page, the girl who inks the page, uh, uh, you know, category. The finishes, the last thing that you're going to see before it's scanned and colored. The finishes, really, the finisher. It's 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 a great moniker. It's a great title, and and, and it is long overdue. And we're going to really dig deep into it today. A lot of different approaches to discuss. We won't get to all of them. So here's here's the thing. We're not going to get to every single great finisher that you love. I have some specific examples. They are of the random variety. Okay, I'm going to warn you straight up that they're from my really top mainstream book, but they are from the random variety. And, and if you are able to seek some of these out in the format that I am going to suggest that you seek it out, you will be rewarded. You will absolutely be rewarded. Your eyes will be rewarded and you will be uh, just thrilled to see some of the results of the work that I'm going to put forth to you today. Wrapping up the snake eyes example. I have been mostly inking my own work. When I do rely on another, another anchor, it is with great reluctance because as I have mentioned, many anchors, um, they, they, they take on too much work, uh, which is a byproduct of them not getting paid enough. Okay. So it's yin and yang. Okay. Uh, the, the rates in the industry have come down. So they want to take up to take on as much work as they can. And then it becomes a juggling of deadlines. And sometimes you are on the outside of that looking in as you did not get, you know, uh, chosen or, or the priority that you have, uh, you would have preferred. Now, friends of mine, friends of mine will tell me that happens right now with colorists and other friends of mine will tell me that it's happening with pencilers. Bottom line, it happens. The reason Snake Eyes 5, I divvied it up between X amount, 20 different inkers was that there was no way Ryan Otley, Ed Piscor, Jim Rugg, Tom Scioli all come to mind, uh, across, across this, this work that I was asked I asked these guys to help me out with. Um, I normally ink my own work, and 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 so full pencils is not something that I have been uh, accustomed to doing for a very long time because I am my own finisher. If you have seen Deadpool, Bad Blood, you've seen Major X, you've seen uh, entire issues of Snake Eyes. If you've seen uh, the upcoming Deadpool, Batter Blood, uh, the X Force uh, Kill Shot Special pencil ink, the whole thing. So, so that that's what I am used to doing is is applying my own finishes, my my own. But on Snake Eyes again, and I've covered some of this, so I'm I'm about to exit this, so we're going to get onto the new stuff. But I was doing a a variation between loose pencils and breakdowns, and then I would send them to people like a Philip Tan and say, "Dude, dude, go nuts on this, go nuts." Neil Adams, go nuts. Kevin Eastman, go nuts. Will Spadaccio, go nuts. And they did. And I loved seeing the energy of the different line work, the different choices in the cross hatching, the different. Uh, choices in the cast shadows uh in the spotted black spotted blacks is a word in inker dumb in inker dumb <laughs> in inker spheres uh spotted blacks is where you put the shadows and where you um again uh maybe throw uh, uh, an entire uh black background behind the figure to pop the figure into the foreground so there's that that's what spotted blacks means on an art page and so those choices then are you're you're really leaning into the inker slash finisher to make those decisions and you you trust them you're going to live with those results and with this with something like snake eyes five i just said you know have fun with it again whether it was ryan otley on a double pager neil adams who told me as, as i've shared with this you on the share on this show before and by the way neil adams final comic book work was those snake eyes page, pages i had no idea that he would uh become ill go into the hospital for many months and then eventually um, 
you know, pass away. And Neil had told me, Rob, I'm not going to do it if it's one page. I want a double pager. I want a double pager. And I said, Neil, I'd be happy. Oh my gosh, did you just really tell me that you're not going to just do one page? You're going to do two? Uh, so I did, I did uh, happily send Neil and, and his, uh, his double pager still just gives me goosebumps and warms my heart. And, and anytime I get to shout out and send love to Neil, I do, I will, I have. And, uh, but, but, but Philip Tan, uh, Dan Panosian, everybody along the way, uh, Corey Hampshire, uh, Chance Wolf. I, I'm going to miss some names because it, it, it's just off the top of my head. But so I, I have really uh, been a part of this before, and I was able to do it with so much joy in my heart because I know what I look like. My my my, my work looks like. I know my my drawings. I've done almost five thousand pages of comic book art. So I have worked decades to get you to understand what my work looks like. So now I'm comfortable seeing it and interpreted in a way that I wouldn't have been. Three, three decades ago, because I wanted you to see exactly how I wanted to interpret myself, um, and and I didn't want anyone's iteration of it. Now I'm cool with it. It's it's like that'd be great. Why not see what what somebody else can do? Philip and I again have talked, and he I, there's an episode of Rob Observations called Duets, where I talk about two styles that come to make another style, and sometimes it's semi accidental, sometimes it's purposeful. But a lot of people love teams uh, that they don't even realize are 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 these these uh, a piece of each artist making another version of that artist. Now, one of the best finishers you're ever going to understand, and he is not someone who's going to roll off the top of your tongue uh, in terms of familiarity, but he's one of the icons of the comic book industry, and was till the day he died. And some of the examples that I'm going to show you today. Uh, you're going to see in one of the issues how thrilled they are that he is finishing. Uh, I have I am going to give you exam examples from the Avengers issues of the Avengers from 1972 to 1974, 1975 maybe maybe go all the way into 1975. One of the best things you can ever ask for in regards to a finisher is the fact that they are in fact also a penciler who is capable with ink. Wills Portacio, uh, Philip Tan. Neil Adams, Dan Panosian, all of these different names that I've mentioned to you are guys that can knock out their own pencil and ink line art, you know, like it was nobody's business. I mean, they are, they are just like super efficient. That's what they do. They are really pencilers who ink. Wills Portacio broke in as an inker, inking Art Adams, no less, on the initial issues of Longshot. Wills was also um, inking, you know, different jobs uh, along the way. Over at Marvel in his in his early days, he even inked over a uh, Mike Mignola issue, uh, if memory serves. But uh, Will's super talented, and uh, I think he inked over Brent Anderson, all, all manner of different. What Will's my first interactions with Will's was as an inker, but then it quickly with his work on Punisher and his work on X Men and then Wetworks, you, you found out what Will's really was an uh, an amazing, like amazing underscore amazing artist. But he can slick. He can slick that ink around. And some of these guys can now do it digitally just as well as they did on the page. And I'm talking to you. Wolves Portacio is a old school uh, brush and, and, and ink nib, you know, dip the ink, uh, dip the Hunt 102 nib and scratch it on the board. He, he's old school. Now he can do that stuff digitally and it's just as mind-blowing. Mind so 
In the 70s, you saw more finishes than you do now because two things separate uh, what's going on now. There are less inkers, less finishers than ever before. There are more guys who have gotten in that say, I can do that style of line work, but they don't have the drawing ability behind them that many of the names that I've already mentioned to you do, that do have. Uh, I've mentioned to you that two of my favorite artists, John Byrne has inked George Perez once in the X-Men, Giant Size X-Men Annual uh, number three on a page that always stood out to me because it didn't look anything like all the pages surrounding it that Terry Austin inked over George Perez. And then later I would learn that John Byrne at a convention took that page from Terry Austin at Terry's request. Could you help me out? Could you, we want you in this book because you're John Byrne and and the X-Men turned and became huge and popular on your watch. It's, it's, it's a brilliant page. The X-Men are on a dragon. John Byrne inked it. It's got a thicker uh, brush line. It is nowhere near the crisp, uh, precise inked inking technique. Uh, that that I mean looks almost like a machine inked it. It's so precise and clean and crisp that the, the trademark of all the Terry Austin lines. No, it's more brushy. But you could, I'm, as a kid, I was like, this Colossus face looks different. That that that, and it's and it's a small face, maybe an inch and a half. But you're like, there's something different with this page. And again, I didn't understand until years later that John Byrne, who I worshipped and adored, had inked over. George Prez. George Prez would then ink an entire issue over John Byrne in Action Comics. Um, and and uh, while also drawing Wonder Woman into each frame. George Perez, uh, superstar of his time, uh, inked me. Inked, inked Penciler Rob on a cover to the Teen Titans. Uh, so when the, when the accomplished artists uh, know how to ink, it's a benefit to all because you're going to get their expertise as they lay down their inking over you. Sometimes you just get uh, a slightly different adjustment. A for Neil Adams, for instance, is going to look different being inked by Terry Austin than he is being inked by a gentleman named Dick Giordano than he is being inked by a gentleman named Tom Palmer than he is being inked by a gentleman named Bob McLeod. It's all going to look like Neil Adams, but each one enhances something differently because their approach and what they see in their mind and what they want out of that page is different and. You're going to go the gamut with Frank Miller too. I, 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 there are people who say, oh, Frank Miller, he was only successful because of Klaus Jansen on Daredevil. Bullshit. That's a lie. Frank Miller did four issues of Wolverine inked by Joseph Rubenstein. They are worshipped. They are applauded. They are held in the highest regard. As good as Klaus is, he's not the reason we love Frank. Frank is the reason we love Frank because all the tenets of Frank's art still come through when either Klaus or Joe ink him. They just have a different approach. It's a different finish on the page. Terry Austin actually may be my favorite anchor over Frank Miller, and they only worked together twice on an issue of Daredevil and on an issue of What If Daredevil Had Been an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I actually prefer the Terry stuff to both Klaus and Joe Runstein, but other anchors along the way. Steve Mitchell inked his Batman story. Uh, you know, Frank would have many different anchors over his career. Big guys, big notable guys like Klaus, like Terry, like Joseph Rubenstein did signature works on them. And the the uniting force in all of them is that, yeah, you can still see it's a Frank Miller job. It's just a Frank Miller job with Joe tweaks, with Klaus tweaks, with Terry tweaks, okay? Today, we're going to talk about these Avengers issues. Now, let me me sidebar and tell you these Avengers issues that I'm going to share with you are from a format called the 
Essentials, Marvel Essential Editions. I cannot stress enough how much you need these Essential Editions in your life. If you truly love the art of comics, you will want these Essential Editions. Now, Marvel was hot and heavy doing these in the early 2000s. Some of them are discontinued, but I think you can find them on Amazon and or eBay. Uh, so, so what is an essential, Liefeld? An essential is a newsprint, like the kind of newsprint that you would, would get on a phone book and you're saying, what is phone book? Like Ben Stiller and, and, and Owen Wilson as they tried to break into the computer. Break into computer. They, they, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's the same concept when you, <laughs> when, when, um, when, when, when I was a kid, you got a phone book. I, they, they, they stopped really. I, I haven't seen one in maybe a decade. Maybe it's longer, but every year you got a phone book dropped off on your, uh, front porch, every neighbor. And it gave you phone numbers of all of your surrounding neighbors, as well as businesses. There's the personal residential phone book. And then there was the business phone book. Some, some people call it the yellow pages. The yellow pages catered more to businesses. That's how I found out where comic book stores were from the yellow pages. I've covered this on other, uh, you know, podcast. So I know I'm not talking about this the first time, but some of you are like, what is, what is phone book? So, uh, bottom line, these are intended to look like those phone books. They're, they're on, uh, a cheaper stock, a newsprint stock, and they sometimes collect 10 to 15 issues, individual issues. They're soft editions. They're not hard covers. They're not, um, you know, they don't have dust jackets. They're just really basic, awesome, uh, a cheaper stock, but they are intended to look like the, the format of the of the yellow pages, the phone books that we got dropped off in our youth, and 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 many of those, many of you will get that uh, get that example. Some of you will not, but regardless, moving on. The essentials are black and white newsprint editions of the art, shot either from stats, which is a photo shot of a page that many publishers have before the artwork. When, you know that they would shoot the stat, and the stat would be is what would get colored, or would what be on would would be on file. Do I have stats of Youngblood number one, two, three, four? I do. I that they were still making stats when the printer would give me the film and the color keys. I would also get the stats. So a stat page, and I've seen some stat page go up for auctions in all these different auctions, and they're, and they and they legitimately are part of the production art, but they are in no way uh, reflective of the original art. Some of the uh, the the artist editions that you get uh, that that have been made available. I have a giant Sin City art edition that stands. It's so big it leans up against my wall, against my door in my office. It's Frank Miller's Sin City that was produced by 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 Dark Horse. There is a standalone Conan Red Nails that was produced by the guy who owns all the artwork. He didn't. He just literally formatted and did it himself and traveled the country and sold the Conan Red Nails. It's not, uh, you know, by any specific publisher. He just did it him, him himself. There is a company called Graffiti, to me, who have made the finest, best artist editions. They have done Dark Knight and Ronan, both of the signature Frank Miller DC works they have done, and they are the most immaculately produced. They have, uh, they have uh, transparencies. Uh, on, on where transparencies were called for, which was a lot of Frank's work at the time. So you got like a transparency with a color correction on it or with an effect. I mean, these things are next level beautiful by by Graffiti, uh, which is a company here in Orange County. 
So these aren't artist editions. These essentials are literally, the, because in those artist editions, whether I just said with the, with the acetate layovers, with the overlays w- w- that are on top of, of the different pages. And again, you're, you're looking at like a, a acetate page with an overlay. And, and so th- that's because a color correction, which was common uh, back in the day, was done over that overlay. Uh, Frank Miller re-inked all manner of pages and panels in, in, in Dark Knight. Especially in the later issues, he his vision for what he wanted on the page was changing. He didn't want what was uh, coming out of uh, of of Klaus in terms of finishes and inks anymore, and he wanted to redraw many of the figures, the bodies, the faces, the backgrounds. And so he did that, and you see those done on these overlays in the 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 graffiti editions. Nowadays, you do that stuff digitally. If I want to correct a page, I a face, I redraw the face, I scan it to my colorist and I say, digitally put that over the one that I sent you. And, and so it exists in, in two different, uh, it exists in two different layers completely, but the, the use of overlays is, is something that is more, uh, of a production art in a production time that, that left us in the eighties and nineties. Again, now everything is scanned and implemented in a digital manner. The essential books, these phone books, sometimes they're just not shot from the art is what I'm trying to say. And I did so in my typical long-winded fashion. So sometimes you can tell some of these are just maybe shot from Xeroxes on file. Thankfully, none of that is the case because there are a ton of, look, all there's an entire line of X-Men Essentials and Defenders Essentials and Marvel Team-Up and Spider-Man and Moon Knight and the Avengers and Fantastic Four and, and, and Marvel Cowboy. I mean, it, it, it is. It represents a great deal of Marvel's DC did essentials too. They call them something different. They have the same kind of phone book approach. That a giant percentage of their publishing is represented in these. So you're going to come across some of these what I call dodgy Xeroxes to finish the job, or in some cases, in actually some of the some of the books I won't say which you can tell they scanned the actual colored pages and tried to lighten them with the different levels because you got levels on your computer as well. Right. And, and, and try, try to lighten and, and adjust the contrast. So, so luckily none of those are these Dave Cockrum is a, is an immense talent. He left us far too soon. He uh, has been covered on this show quite a few times and still probably not as much as he needs to. So we're going to add to that canon today. He was the penciler and anchor for giant size X-Men. Number one, it is one of my favorite jobs ever in comics one of my favorite jobs that dave cockrum has ever produced i believe giant size x-men number one and x-men 100 are dave's greatest contributions to the x-men he came to marvel from the legion of superheroes i detailed in a previous podcast why he left dc you should listen to that for that entire story i'm not going to cover it today but he was quite successful a fan favorite his work had really caught the attention of the early 70s fans and his legion of superheroes all of them Lightning Lad, Wildfire, Shrinking Violent, Phantom Girl, Monel, uh, Ultra Boy, Sun Boy, Saturn Girl. They were beautiful. He had uh he 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 came up as an apprentice to a gentleman named Murphy Anderson, who was a giant Silver Age artist, best known possibly for his collaborations with Kurt Swan, who is quite possibly the most famous Superman artist. He came up as an assistant to Murphy Anderson, and then there was a lot of Neil Adams, uh, what I would say a watered down because he didn't want to do Neil's version of Neil, but he did a, 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 a 
Dave Cockrum kind of approach to Neil Adams uh, that, that, that was unique and all his own because his approach to the page, storytelling, figure drawing was all his own. Dave Cockrum went from Legion to Giants as X-Men, became a superstar fan favorite, did new X-Men until 107. John Byrne takes over in 108. Dave Cockrum comes back, I want to say, Dave Cockrum comes back around 145, 146 and does another, a renewed run, a new three-ish, three-year tenure on the X-Men. And it's fantastic. When, when he, the only thing that helped me feel better about John Byrne leaving was that Dave Cockrum was coming back because I love both men. Dave would also do his own creator-owned work called The Futurians. I, I covered in an episode where we talk about the Thunder Agents, which was a uh, independent title of superheroes put out in the 60s that, 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 that you should listen to because there's a great story behind the creation of the Thunder Agents and all that work. When they revived, revived the Thunder Agents in the very late 80s, Dave Cockrum actually was inking George Perez when they did a series based on one of the Thunder Agents called Raven. Dave Cockrum became the uh, Marvel cover editor for three years. Marvel had cover editors uh, throughout the Bronze Age of, uh, of comics. Gil Kane uh, sometimes did seven to eight comic book covers a week. He, he just tore into um, his cover assignments. Gil Kane had come off of huge accomplishments 10 years over at, uh, at both Marvel and DC, Daredevil, Green Lantern, The Atom, uh, just tremendous, again, superstar of the Silver Age. Uh, accomplished, just incredibly accomplished, talented penciler illustrator. He became the cover artist at Marvel, which meant that it fell on him to draw 90% of the covers that you got during that time. And trust me, if you were buying the Avengers, the Defenders, Fantasy Four, X-Men, Conan, Hulk, Spider-Man, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, you got a Gil Kane cover. I mean, literally, some, some weeks, every comic they put on the stands in the 1970s was drawn by Gil Kane. The successor to Gil Kane was Dave Cockrum. Once again, if you got a Spider-Man, a Captain America, an Iron Man, an X-Men, an Avengers, a Fantastic Four, uh, did I say Ms. Marvel, the Champions, a Hulk cover, it was drawn by Dave Cockrum. They wanted a dedicated cover artist that did a unified body of cover. Now, sometimes guys uh, would, would get in there and they would share the load. And as Marvel expanded, Dave Cockrum, Cockrum couldn't do it all. And you know who he tapped? He tapped Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby then started doing all manner of covers on all the titles I just mentioned. Defenders, Avengers, Fantastic Four, uh, Ghost Rider. I mean, they, they shared the chores, but it was Dave's job to dictate. If he wasn't drawing the cover, he was giving you the sketch so that the image was ultimately his layout that then you as the penciler were asked to follow. There's, uh, I believe it's X-Men, is it 112? 113, I think it's 112. Uh, George Perez drew the cover. Bob Layton inked the cover, but the cover sketch exists. It's been auctioned. Uh, Dave Cockrum did a very clean pencil and inked rendering, the quote unquote sketch. So isn't that cool? Again, part of the production art of the comic books is that they would have other people doing the sketches, handing them off to another artist to nail it. And in many cases, that uh, there's a Keith Pollard uh, cover Keith Pollard was an artist that was doing uh, an incredible run on Fantastic Four in 1978. There is a storyline I've mentioned here many times. It's called The Son of Doom. Son of Doom. It's one of my favorite Fantastic Four storylines by anybody. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Keith Pollard. But all of the cover sketches were handed to Keith by Dave Cockrum. Again, those sketches have seen the light of day. 
We are seeing so many. He did costume designs. He is also seen as one of the most accomplished co- costume designers in the history, not of an era of comics, in the history of comics. And when you, you know, Google and look at all the different, from Legion to X-Men to Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, all of the different costumes that Dave, Dave uh, generated, it is staggering. It, it, like after Jack Kirby, he is like your number two guy in terms of costume guy in the history of comics uh, and being that influential. Well, there was a period in the 70s where he was not only doing penciling and inking his own work as, as he was doing some of the giant size Avengers annuals. And of course, in 1975, the seminal classic giant size X-Men, which introduced us to the modern X-Men that we know and love today just literally changed the course of a mighty river cannot be underscored but dave was an incredible finisher and so the reason that i pulled these avengers out is that you're going to get the best example of just what he was doing with these lo and behold we come upon avengers number 106 now the previous Issues are drawn by a gentleman named Rich Buckler, uh, inked by Dan Adkins, Joe Sinnott, names that you will, Jim Mooney, uh, names that you will, you know, uh, be familiar with if you go to that era of comics, that, that, that bronze era of comics. But uh, in Avengers 106, Dave Cockrum inks over Rich Buckler. He inks over a gentleman named... George Tuska, both of which were uh, go-to, go-to pencilers at Marvel in 1972-73. These guys were workhorses, and they could do a breakdown and get the book in on time. Now, Rob, what is a breakdown? Let, let, let's discuss the breakdown. What is the source of the breakdown? One of the things that I mentioned earlier about uh, putting my own finishes on, it's more time-consuming. Eric Larson inks his own work. I ink my own work. A lot of guys nowadays are, are inking their own work. That's where they have a level of comfortability the, or the most level of comfortability. Dale Keown was inking his, his own work. Uh, Mark Silvestri on Batman Joker has been inking his own work. All of those pages are inked by Mark. That's why we love them so much. It is such a pure uh, uh, you know, expression of his artistic vision. But comic books is about meeting deadlines in 22 pages, uh, or in this case, 17 pages, get, getting out every every month and making it to the stands and the editor and the publisher have to make sure that for, you know, the best term for it is the trains all run on time. You got to hit your marks. You got to, you know, get these, get these to the printer every three weeks, boom, boom, boom. So that they come out and they're on the stands every four weeks. So there's a period every book's gone through and every artist you've ever liked. Jim Lee has done breakdowns. Todd McFarlane has done break breakdowns. Rob Liefeld has done breakdowns. Okay. Mark Silvestri has done breakdowns. George Perez has done breakdowns. John Byrne has done breakdowns. Frank Miller has done breakdowns. The list continues and grows. Breakdowns or slash layouts is a credit you're going to find next to all of those names and many more that I have just shared with you. The, the breakdown and the layout puts really the, the page design more as the star uh, in, in, in regards to the importance from the originator, the pencilers, point of view who takes the story whether it's his own or a story from a writer and he goes down and he breaks down five panels six panels a page a splash page eight panels two panels and the storytelling and the figure work and the backgrounds and the environments are put in by the breakdown artist but it's not a fully rendered fully finished fully crosshatched job there's no time for that 
Maybe they can work it in a couple faces or on a couple panels, but for the most part, you are sending then to a finisher who is going to take it on himself. He doesn't have to do the thought work of shooting the shot. Is it an aerial shot? Is it a low angle shot? Is it a worm's eye view? Is it a bird's eye view? Is it a medium straight on shot? Is it an action shot? He didn't have to choreograph the fights. He didn't have to determine the lighting. The finisher inker just gets to, for lack of a better word, and actually it is the best word, polish the page. They get to polish the page. I am submitting to you today one of the greatest polisher of the pages. One of the greatest finishers is Dave Cockrum. These Rich Buckler and George Tuska pages are among the best renditions of Rich Buckler and George Tuska you're ever going to see. And you can see Dave Cockrum in them. Dave Cockrum takes it upon himself uh, on the splash page. To Avengers 106, Vision is sitting in a chair uh, as, as Captain America is approaching him. It is a kind of a tech chair in a tech room. And Rich Buckler on his own has never drawn anything resembling this. Rich Buckler is extremely talented, uh, can incorporate Kirby and Neil Adams into his influence at the, at the drop of a hat or at the request of an editor. The layout is fine. The uh, Vision is in the foreground. Cap is approaching him from the background. But the cast shadows, the delicate line art. I believe Dave Cockrum was a master of the brush and you can tell because also textures are something that the finisher does with great ease and there is rendering and textures and cast shadows and uh, just beautiful delicate outlines with the, uh, with, the, with, with the contours of the figure and some what I'll call prettying of the faces, okay? Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm remiss. I have not mentioned Mr. Scott Williams, who, when he and Jim Lee worked together in the nineties, uh, the early nineties, late eighties produced some of the best comic book artwork. And only now are you seeing, are you as Scott Williams has become his own dedicated cover artist, providing both pencils and inks on all manner of different comic books from Marvel and DC. Only now are you seeing how accomplished an artist he is himself when asked and we all did ask scott back in the day why don't you you know pencil and ink your own comic he's like oh it's too much work too much work is code word for i don't want to be the guy that does the choreography that does the stage direction that does the uh the pacing the page layout the design work you know uh, all the different camera angles of people talking shifting back and forth close up medium shot all the stuff that i've talked to you about Worm's eye view, you know, he just wants to put his polish and he has, he has polished each and every one of, of, I think some of your modern masters. Okay. The polish here provided by Dave Cockrum is among, is, is on par with the kind of polishes that Scott Williams was providing. This is a rich buckler issue, whether it's a splash page, whether it's a uh, four panel page, the staging, um, Rich was a go-to guy because he could get the job done and he could give you the very best basics. I propose to you that it is way beyond the basics that you're getting here because of Dave Cockrum's exceptional finishes. Whether it's, um, oh my God, the, the Black Panther, Hawkeye, Iron Man, the, the Iron Man and every armored person in here has that extra sheen, that extra detail that became popular popularized by, Dave, by, by Bob Layton. But I believe uh, what Dave is doing here with armor, with Iron Man, with some of the other metal and, uh, and robotic suits that you're going to see further throughout this story, I believe Dave Cockrum popularized that look that then uh, 
that introduced that look that 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 Bob Layton would make his trademark um, because it, it really is a very clean, precise, slick line. Look, slick is a is a big word in in in, in the comic book world. F- slick sells. Slick is uh, Rob Liefeld on X Force New Mutants. Slick is Todd McFarlane on Spider Man. Slick is uh, Scott Williams inking Jim Lee. Slick is what Jim is going for when he inks his own work. Slick is Bob Layton, Bob Layton's entire, you know, whether he's inking John Byrne, John Romita Jr., uh, George Perez or himself or Dave Cockrum, Bob Layton is slick and no one is slicker in the history of comics than the aforementioned Terry Austin, who everybody got in line to want to have inked their work. George Perez laments that the only time they did one interior job together was Giant Size X-Men Annual number three. And Terry, by the way, in interviews has said he laments that the only time that he and George did those interiors was on that annual. Terry was the guy everybody wanted. He was the guy that everybody wanted to apply their slick finish to because slick sells, period. Slick is super commercial. So Dave Cockrum is is uh, uh, putting down these incredible finishes, but I told you there's a reason I picked these essentials because I believe this is the greatest example of where you can see what um what a what a what a finisher does and 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 really where where a finisher separates in regards to what he brings to the page because again as i'm as i'm as i'm segueing from issue 106 i go into 107 now the last page of avengers 106 has a uh close-up of a character called space phantom and i have no doubt that rich buckler drew it immaculately but in his breakdowns but Dave Cockrum gives you a next level Neil Adams rendered application on the face. It is beautiful. It is the kind of stuff that separated Neil and made people go goo goo and gaga for Neil's art in the first place. But whether it's George Tuska, who is a more, George is a really great figure artist, dynamic figures. He, he, he was dynamic um, and, he, and his faces were expressionistic, but not always the most attractive. Here, Dave Cockrum is putting his attractive because Dave drew beautiful faces on his own and he is applying his beautiful faces on top of this. Now, 107, we continue, Avengers 107, we continue. Except now it's not just, it's not Rich Buckler, it's Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, who so many of you are familiar with from his work on Adam Warlock, Dreadstar, Captain Marvel, creating Thanos. Uh, Jim Starlin pencils part of this issue and Dave Cockrum inks it. And the crazy part is a few weeks back, I held one of these pages in my hands. My art dealer, uh, which, which you just, you know, for comic book guys, art dealer, drug dealer, same same difference, okay? My art dealer, because those are my drugs, <clears throat> had got some new pages in, and I was able to hold the 11 by 17 original of this with Dave Cockrum's very lush brushwork applied over Jim Starlin. Now, Jim Starlin and Dave Cockrum don't draw anything near alike. Uh, Jim has a very uh, different approach to, to the way that he presents anatomy, which is more trunk-heavy, Thinner waists, thicker thighs, um, and and his faces are very distinct. Jim Starlin's faces were very distinct, slightly more scowly. If you are the men, really handsome guys, good looking women, but you see the combo here. You see as he uh, inks uh, over Jim Starlin that what Dave does here, Dave Cockrum slightly uh, takes the edge off of Starlin's work at the time, which was a little more angular. 
and puts a, a slightly rounded line on it. And again, that is the choice of the finisher because then Jim Starlin is not the only penciler on this issue. As I said, he is sharing it once again with George Tuska. So Dave's trying to make the whole thing blend together so that you're not jarred by going from Jim Starlin to George Tuska. And the, the application that is making that possible is Dave's approach. You hear me flipping these pages. Oh my gosh. I mean, and Dave could draw really pretty female faces. And throughout here, whether it's a Jim Starlin or a George Tuska face, the female uh, agents and character Scarlet Witch are just beautifully portrayed. Again, a finisher, uh, his application on faces is sometimes the most um, the, the, the most enjoyable. And again, being that Dave had such a, what people would call a pretty line, a pretty contour line, a pretty rendering line, what he, what he would do with hair and textures. And again, I've already said what he did with metallic objects. Um, very, what I would say, slick and pretty. And, and But he could also, you can see where he saw that Jim Starlin wanted a, a series of cross hatchings on Vision's cheek. And he went about it. He just went about it in a much more uh, clean and concise manner. But here is the giant uh, delivery. What I really want to share with you is starting with X, uh, Avengers 108. Uh, <clears throat> there's, an, there's a penciler named Don Heck. And this is why I picked these issues. Don Heck is another Silver Age penciler. Uh, did all manner of work for both DC and Marvel. Uh, did, did Followed up Kirby on the Avengers way back in the 60s after Kirby left. He is probably most famous for his Iron Man work. He later went on to DC, did a ton of work on The Flash. Don Heck is an accomplished uh, artist that drew great comics for years upon years. But in the age, following the age of somebody like a Neil Adams, and then later a John Byrne and Frank Miller and George Perez and Jim Starlin, Don's, Don's work was uh, less embraced by fans. There is an episode where I do Barry Windsor Smith where he goes off on everybody. It's, I, I, I highly recommend you, you, you get that interview. Barry Windsor Smith uh, laments that he believes the reason that Don Heck was not better received and alludes to him being a hack, uh, which is terrible and, and wrong, wrongfully applied. But these are Barry, Barry, Barry's words. He, he, he believes that he was forced to draw in a style that he didn't like and part of the Marvel machinery, except it's exactly the way he was drawing for the DC machinery as well. But he just laments that that when when uh, when Don was doing war comics and romance comics and newspaper strips, that that his work was so much more realized. And there are earlier Silver Age renditions where Don would ink himself, and it was more polished. But it was nowhere near again the polish of what fans really reacted to in regards to the stuff that they were getting for such, from such fan favorites as Neil Adams and all of those other crazy great names that I was offering to you. Well, Dave Cockrum inks issue 108, does the majority of the inking along uh, over Don Heck. And I assure you, this is no Don Heck job you have ever seen before. Don, George, uh, I'm sorry, Dave Cockrum took the breakdowns of Don Heck and made an incredibly beautiful, uh, finished, polished style. More rendering. Um, uh, uh, a, a, a powerful tightening up of, of, of Don Heck's uh, line work. Don Heck, uh, and, and again, as a kid, I was not a fan of Don Heck. If I saw his work, I was not a fan for all the reasons that I 
just told you, but I appreciated that he could get the job done. And I own way too many Don Heck books to be uh, cast as someone who did not care for his work. He just wasn't my favorite. But here, with Dave Cockrum's finishes, and Dave is putting Dave Cockrum rendering, Dave Cockrum drawing on top of Dave of of, uh, of Don Heck's uh, line work, whether it is the face of the Vision or Space Phantom or Grim Reaper or Captain America. And I am telling you, there is a splash page. I don't have the actual number of the books here, but there is a splash page in Avengers 108 where they're battling the Grim Reaper and Hydra. And again, you see the strengths of both men. Don Heck uh, positioned and, and and gave this incredible composition of Captain America, full figure Captain America, full figure that takes up most of the page, 75% of this page, is Captain America cracking on two different Hydra Hydra agents while one shoots past him and Hawkeye is behind him uh, shooting arrows into the other Hydra agents. And at the top, it says Avengers and the bottom, it says Assemble. Giant Avengers Assemble logo broke from top to bottom, but it is a beautiful splash page. And when you look at it, you see all of Don Heck and you see all of Dave Cockrum, but they have been combined into this one um, Heck Cockrum style that is way more appealing than Don Heck on his own and just as appealing as anything Dave Cockrum has drawn where he has pencil and inked on his own. Dave went to town on this stuff. Dave absolutely went to town on this stuff and he gave a polished, oh, these these lines are beautiful. They are uh, clean, a clean polished even the rendering is slick uh the 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 tightening of the faces of the anatomy the rounding of some of the muscles where don is more angular so the reason i'm i'm sharing this with you and i cannot more i cannot recommend more highly you getting uh a look at this in black and white but dave wraps up this issue he shares some of the chores with joe sinnott what i just described to you is an absolute dave cochran page joe sinnott does a few pages in this issue um, and you can tell Joe Sinnott is the longstanding uh, inker over, on Fantastic Four over Jack Kirby, and he was another go-to guy at Marvel. Very slick, could 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 ink and 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 finish, uh, and did uh, just just with great ease. And and the and the quality always stayed as high as anything you could possibly imagine. But there is a Captain Marvel. There's a number of Captain Marvel or Marvel pages of the of the silver of of the Bronze Age Captain Marvel of Don Heck, and I've seen Don Heck drawn draw Captain Marvel. But uh, wow, these Dave Cockrum inked pages, the hair, the face, the nose, the mouth, the structure, the rounded lines over the jagged, um, more angular Don Heck. I mean, this is incredible. The storytelling is great. And Dave Cockrum puts this incredible, beautiful uh, polish. It, it closes with, uh, with Scarlet Witch uh, speaking to Vision and the two Scarlet Witch faces. Again, you can see the work that Dave put into drawing more into those faces than Don did. But again, the primary reason is then you go to you go to Avengers 109 and and it is once again drawn by Don Heck. This time it is inked by Frank McLaughlin. Frank McLaughlin uh was accomplished against Silver Bronze Age inker inked all manner of uh Dick Giordano, he inked Irv Novik, he inked George Perez. Uh he 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 is a seasoned professional. He inks, I mean, literally hundreds of inks jobs in the Silver Age and the uh, Bronze Age. Frank McLaughlin, uh, George Perez's first issues of the Justice League in 1980, the, the New Gods, Justice League, Justice Society, Frank McLaughlin inks those. He may not be your favorite inker over George Perez, but again, he is 
doing uh, later age fan favorites as well. And again, whether it was Irv Novik who did all of this uh, Justice League work, who had more of a, uh, in, in the school of Neil Adams style. Well, uh, Carmen Infantino, Frank McLaughlin was again a accomplished, polished inker. He inks the entirety of Avengers 109. And this looks more like what you would expect of Don Heck. It is sketchy. It is more angular. Uh, the faces are not as tight and not as polished. And it is through this compare and contrast that you can really see what the finishes of Dave Cockrum, the polish uh, that he brings to someone by just simply comparing Avengers 108, penciled by Don Heck, inked, finished by uh, by by Dave Cockrum, and then go to Don Heck, a dedicated solo uh, Hawkeye issue. And you can see Frank McLaughlin takes some of his uh, liberties and tightens up uh, Frank, uh, uh, Don Heck's pencils as well, but his choices are different. He doesn't really try to round Don Heck's work. He tries to just embolden the angles. He, Don Heck has a more angular uh, art style, and Frank McLaughlin is just trying to apply bolder lines on top of those angles, but not necessarily rounding them out, polishing them, or rendering within them in the way that Dave Cockrum did. Again, this is very difficult to give you kind of an art history lesson verbally uh, on a podcast, but but I'm doing my very best to communicate uh, the the approach. Now, on on Avengers 110, you get Don Heck and Frank Giosia. Now, I the these Silver Age bronze guys, Frank Giosia is either their favorite inker over Kirby, or he is their favorite inker over Don Heck, or he is their favorite inker. Frank 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 inked Gil Kane. He inked you know Don Perlin. He inked all these guys, a lot, a lot of Bronze Age guys. He inked George Tuska. Well, he inks Don Heck. And it's the most scritchy scratchy. I probably prefer Frank McLaughlin over uh <clears throat> over Frank Giochia. Or G- you know, hope I'm saying it right. I've always talked to my art dealer buddies. Frank Giosia, Frank Giochia. Um, it's Frank G-I-O-C-I-A. Okay. It's a little more brush heavy. And again, he really leans into the angular uh, notion again of Captain America and, and the Avengers that are depicted in this page. It's, it's an issue with, the, with, with Magneto battling the Avengers. And it is, um, it is I'll tell you that without color, that that's the one thing about some of these pages. Uh, there's a shot of the X-Men strewn about the mansion and without benefit of color, it was hard for me to depict and point out if that was Iceman lying on the floor or Cyclops lying on the floor or um, it's just, again, it's it's a very basic ink job, a very basic approach. The thicks, the thins, the foregrounds, the backgrounds, all of the different line applications are correct. They just don't have that extra veneer, that extra polish, that extra juice. So you can get three straight issues, okay? Same penciler. Don Heck, Avengers 1-8, Avengers 109, Don Heck, Avengers 110, Don Heck. Okay, so <clears throat> that is the best, I think, version why I picked these um, 1970s comics so that you could see what a polisher brings to the table. Now, I'm not, I'm not done with Dave Cockerman and his finishes yet. Um, Frank Boll, B-O-L-L-E, inks uh, 
Don Heck on Avengers 112. And again, it is what I call very scritchy scratchy and in no way as polished and slick. So Dave Cockrum is off kind of penciling and inking his own uh, amazing Avengers annual during this time and is no longer inking the Avengers as they segue into the segment where they are uh, like the the one uh, Avengers 115, 116, 170, what's called the Avengers Defenders War. And it is drawn by Bob Brown. But as we segue deeper and we go further into the Avengers, uh, this is when I said early on that the, the credits page is excited. Bob Brown takes over and starts doing the Avengers. And Bob Brown is uh, very, got a very indistinguishable uh, art style. It is um, kind of figure work alongside along along the lines of a George Tusca or a um, Sal Buscema. Um, so it's it's not quite the the master of the form as somebody like a John John Buscema, who I have I'm, t- I'm telling you is on my Mount Rushmore of comic book artist and has figure work on par with the greatest. Uh, in the history, Hal Foster, Frank Frazetta, Frank Frazetta John Buscema is up there. That he he is considered one of the all time greats. Well, Bob Brown uh, has a very, I would say, indistinguishable pencil style, pencil approach, <clears throat> and uh, he is penciling uh, Avengers uh, one twenty three. He's penciling Avengers uh, one. 22, all of which depict the Avengers battling the Zodiac. <clears throat> well, he's being inked by Mike Esposito on some of these. But later on down the line, in the stunner of all stunners, a few issues later, <clears throat> Dave Cockrum would, would apply the inks to, to, uh, to Mr. Bob Brown. And you'd be like, wait, what's this? Like, how did this get so beautiful? I'll tell you how it got so beautiful. It is the polish and the stunning line work that then Dave Cockrum, who, who clearly was like, oh, okay, uh, Bob Brown, Jim Starlin, George Tuska, doesn't matter. I'm going to raise the bar, bring my own particular brand of, of finishing and inking, and knock your socks off. And let me tell you something. Knock your socks off, he does, from the splash page. From literally the splash page to, of Avengers 126, which has like giant images of of uh, uh the, the splash page is is more of of like an an image uh, than it is. I mean, of course it's an image, but the imagery on the splash page is is more idealistic. It's not it's not something that's happening. It's it's giant figures of Claw and a character called Solar, kind of. Uh, lurking dangerously over avengers mansion so it's the idea that they are the threat they are not in fact giants lording over avengers mansion bob brown draws avengers 126 with dave cockrum on the finishes and uh it is again another suddenly the figure work has more weight the 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 cast shadows the, the 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 spotted blacks increase the um, feathering and rendering is in, in amazing, and every single face is 50% prettier than it was before Dave Cockrum polished it. Again, the storytelling is done, the layouts are done, the figure work is done, and your finisher goes in and just goes to town. Slick inks on Iron Man, powerful figure inks, 
great faces on Thor and Vision and Captain America. So Avengers 126 is yet again this beautiful job. The faces, the spotted blacks. Dave Cockrum just had an eye. He was an immaculate artist. I mean, again, there are just, when I say spotted black, Dave Cockrum decided, well, this guy in this suit, I'm going to make this this shot of him from behind where he takes up a quarter, uh, two-thirds of the page. I'm just going to drop a giant cast black shadow across his shoulders back and down, drop it onto his thighs. And he pops as Black Panther uh, leaps towards you. And it's not consistent with the other Bob Brown work because Dave Cockrum is making these crucial decisions. But let me tell you something. When I said about celebrating, for two straight issues, the delight of my life is is experienced. And once again, it is in the credits. <clears throat> John Buscema, who I've just told you is one of the greats of all time, did seminal runs on Silver Surfer, Fantastic Four, The Avengers, and is probably best known for his decades-long work on Conan the Barbarian, the best-selling Conan the Barbarian artist. He draws Avengers number 124. And it has the writer, Steve Englehart, in the credits. But it says, Steve Englehart proudly reunites with two of comics' finest artists, John Buscema and Dave Cockrum. Now, I have John Buscema breakdowns. This is a John Buscema breakdown page. I have breakdowns that he did for Conan. John Buscema would do breakdowns on the page which are above stick figures because he would. you can see the stick figure in the figure, but then he will give you an outline, a gesture of the arm, the, the hands. And sometimes he would go in and do slightly more than the indication of the face, but just an indication of a face by John Buscema is, is better than 90 other artists' uh, completed face, including myself. I, I'm, I'm, I, I know of what I speak. John Buscema is just a rare master that his, 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 his quick passes of the page are going to blow you away and give you enough information that you can um, produce a brilliant finished drawing. He's given you the tools, the gesture, the energy of the figure, the staging, the shot. Well, that's what this is because you see John Buscema's figure work, his staging, but Dave Cockrum of all people. And some of you who are a long time in the comics are like, I didn't know Dave Cockrum ain't John Buscema for two straight issues. And they are some of my favorite jobs uh, as, as Dave Cockrum applies his polish. Again, I'm just so comfortable saying polish because it's slick, it's clean. Uh, the line work is so meticulous. The control of the line, there's nothing scritchy scratchy on a Dave Cockrum finished page the faces are so beautiful john buscema already draws the most beautiful faces this isn't like dave cockrum prettifying uh don heck which you can tell he actually draws a little into the face this is him enhancing the already beautiful faces uh whether it's swordsman whether it's vision thor iron man mantis just stunning beautiful the, the line art again in, enjoy this in the essential format we then pivot to Avengers 125, John Buscema, Dave Cockrum, Thanos. They battle Thanos this issue. They go to space. Oh my gosh. The, 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 it feels like Dave asserts slightly more of himself in this issue with his generous line work. These pages are detailed. The kind of detail that you go, oh, well, George Perez gave me detail. And oh, I love all the detail in John, in, 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 uh, in John Byrne. No. Dave Cockrum is going all out. Again, some of those metallic armored shots that I'm talking to you about are in this issue. These metallic armed warriors that are um, involved in this Thanos battle. Dave inks them 
with a uh, a polish on the armor, the likes of which Bob Layton would popularize on Iron Man again. But the faces, the staging, the characters in the foreground, the background, um, the FX are just beautiful. This is a beautifully, uh, as I just continue to turn these pages, beautifully rendered, drawn, illustrated comic. Those are the best examples because John Buscema was inked by Tom Palmer and Dan Adkins, and he was inked by Frank Giacia, and he was inked by Jim Mooney, and he was inked by Alfreda Alcala, Ernie Chan, all manner of terrific finishers, inkers, because everybody knew John Buscema's breakdowns and layouts were all you needed for success. Just finish those off. The very unique finishes that Dave Cockrum gives him were of the most slick and modern variety that of many of the names I just shared with you. Again, finishing, finishers, everybody's been finished. There are a couple issues of the X-Men. For a matter, As a matter of fact, did you know, because John Byrne was doing so many jobs for Marvel during this period, that no less than X-Men 122, it's uh, got Colossus, the trial of Colossus as he's, he's trying to separate the two walls closing in on him in the danger room. It's a Dave Cockrum cover inked by Terry Austin. X-Men 122 lists John Byrne as breakdowns. Terry Austin as finishes. And you can see it. You can see that there's just slightly less John Byrne underdrawing in that issue and a lot more um, because Terry was slightly cartoonier in his, in his approach to faces. And there's a little more of those car- cartoony approaches on the faces. It's very subtle. But if you compare a fully penciled John Byrne issue of the X-Men to an just Terry as basic anchor to a breakdown issue like this, 122, you can pick up, you can pick it up. The act of finishing is when the breakdowns, the storytelling, they're not as refined, they're not as finished, but someone accomplished. And in this case, today we put Dave Cockrum under the microscope. I want you to look at those. Don Heck issues, those Avengers issues, those 108, 109, 110. See how Frank McLaughlin approaches Don Heck, who presumably gave Frank exactly what he gave Dave. See how Frank Bowl inks Don Heck. See how Giacoya inks Don Heck as opposed to Dave Cockrum. The extra effort badge goes to Dave Cockrum. And as I was coming into the industry, the reason that we all wanted Scott Williams to ink us as he emerged, was because Terry had gotten older, was doing less, and the guys who could pull off the kind of slick style that we were all looking for, when I say we all, I'm talking, let's go down the numbers, Jim Lee, Wolf Portacio, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, Eric Larson, uh, Dale Keown, that's seven guys right there, seven comics were looking for the same finish, Scott could only ink one guy, but we we all wanted that polish and we all feared being handed off to the next guy. Or to an old guy who was trying to modernize and tell the tell the publishers, no, I, I can I can pull off that look, which they could not. It was just not, it was out of their grasp, which is ultimately why Todd inked himself, why Rob inked himself, why Eric inked himself, while Wills inked himself, why how Mark inked himself. The the inker set uh was was thin. Then at Extreme Studios, I decided I am going to triple up on what I don't have enough of in my own preferences as an artist. And that is where you got the John Sabals, the Danny Mickeys, the Norm Ratmans, the Jaime Mendozas, who is inking nonstop. All of these guys have inked nonstop. 
Uh, you've got you you got Larry Larry Stucker, who was fantastic when he was in comics. He segued out of comics two decades ago and didn't look back and went into technology and more power to him. Uh, but we just had we didn't have enough work for Tim Townsend. We didn't have enough work for an inker as good as Tim Townsend because they were all spoken for. So he went off and had this spectacular career at Marvel, inking Joe Mad and many others, Chris Pacello on uh on 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 the X-Men books. But I decided to double down on anchors and I know that I am forgetting several as my mind races. Dan Panosian came to Extreme to help guide some of these guys, Art to Bear as well. Uh we just had a spectacular Marlo Alkiza again, who not only inked me, but Stephen Platt, so many others. Inking, polishing, finishing was the trade of the day. In my opinion, it still is. I, I still um, approach the inking of my page with great care because I want that black and white line art to stand out, even though the colors that we hand this stuff off are spectacular in and of themselves. So we have done an entire dedicated issue episode on the intricacies of finishing, polishing, uh, what the, the job and the result of a finisher. And again, those those you, you may be like, Rob, I don't think I'm, I'm going to like Don Heck even with Dave Cockrum. Oh, yes, you will. And you will like Bob Brown with Dave Cockrum. And you may like John Buscema the most, the most with Dave Cockrum. And these are not the only guys he inked. He inked Invaders covers over uh, Jack Kirby. And there's some question as to how, how much he overpowered Jack on, on, on that cover. But it's still, it's cool seeing Kirby and, 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 and Cockrum combined. Again, I love the mashups. We call them sometimes duets, but you can really see it. When I can look in John Buscema and go, that is 100% John Buscema and that is 100% Dave Cockrum, I see them both. On Dave Cockrum, I saw them both and I was better for it and you will be as well. So an entire episode dedicated to finishes, to finishing, to inking. I hope that you enjoyed it. I am so glad that we uh, deep dived into the art of finishes. Look. Uh, last thing I'll say about that is I I, I collect pages finished by finished by other artists. I have many mashups. I have a, a, an artist named Jose Luis Garcia Lopez who uh, shot to superstar fame, drawing, penciling, and sometimes inking his own work on Superman, on Wonder Woman, on Batman. He was kind of DC's number one artist through the Bronze Age. Well, he inked an issue of John Byrne on Teen a Teen Titans annual of which I have several pages. I love it. I'm getting two masters. One is inking another. One who is normally a pencil and inker decided I will apply my craft and I can see Garcia Lopez and I can see John Byrne. I bought a Gil Kane Conan page that Neil Adams inked. The faces are unreal. Neil told me to my face how much he loved uh, finishing other people and he told me boldly, I'm everybody's best finisher. And he he had a point when Neil would ink John Buscema on Tarzan or ink John Buscema on Conan. It is my favorite rendition of both. So I pursue this. I use the Don, the Don Heck episodes uh, in particular. And, and again, we mentioned Jim Starlin today, George Tuska, Rich Buckler. Dave Cockrum was all of their best finishers. Look these up. Look these issues up that I've, I've, I've uh, mentioned in this episode. You won't regret it. They are a feast for the eyes. Really lush, beautiful line art. Uh, that 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 gives an example again of how they kept the trains on time. Give me those breakdowns. Get to work on the next issue. I've handed all these pages to Dave. Dave is going to polish them up, make them pretty, and 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 slicken them up. And and we, the fans, were the ones that were rewarded. I love comic book art. I love comic books, and I am so glad we broke this down today. Did you catch that? Broke that down. Got it. 
I went super duper long today. Uh, normally, I read your reviews at the end of of, of a hour long episode today. We went, we went an hour and twenty two just on the subject matter itself. I thank you for listening. Thank you for the word of mouth. Thank you for the sharing of the show. Please continue to do so. When you leave r- reviews for us, I will read them at the end of each and every show. Uh, just not today. Uh, I need to tell you how to locate me on social media. I am all across all the different platforms. On Twitter, it's at Robert Liefeld, just at Robert Liefeld. There is no more blue check. It's at Robert Liefeld. That's how you'll know you're talking to me. Um, And I look forward to talking to you. I love your DMs, your messages, your replies. We always have such a good time over there. I love having conversations and sharing, recommend, uh, recommending to you, you recommending to me. It's a great platform. I truly love Twitter. Uh, I still love it. I have I, I, not seen any of the problems that people have said since the turnover. It's just, it's just uh, a great function, uh, a platform with a great functionality. I love reaching out and, and, and talking to you guys and, and hearing you guys talk back. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. I look forward to seeing you over there. Instagram, my photo mashup life. I'm at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Photos of what I'm drawing, uh, where I'm drawing, maybe my dog, my family, what I'm eating, where I'm traveling. Uh, again, I've mentioned this with great pleasure because it makes me laugh when my kids tell me how cringe my Instagram is, which is probably why I've been posting less. But follow me, Rob Liefeld, just straight up Rob Liefeld. There, I do still have a blue check, which is only meant to denote that you are talking to the real Rob Liefeld. So look for me on Instagram at Rob Leifold. I will look for you. Thank you. I read your messages, your DMs, your comments. I appreciate you so much. On Facebook, we have a group. It's called Rob Leifold, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. We continue many of the conversations that we have here over on that page. Go more in depth, chat it up, uh, discuss art, toys. People share custom figures. They share their comics. Um, There's art contests. It is a, a great big party. We're having it. 24-7 over on Facebook. It's Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, will click you on through once you submit your membership form. So that's how you know you're in the right place. Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. I hope to see you over there on Facebook. There's an app. It's called Whatnot. I am back on it. I am enjoying it so much. It is the best kind of digital retail app that exists. It is really redefine the access to creator to consumer uh on the platform i myself share signed comic books toys funkos artwork posters all manner of different collectibles uh, you'll find on my dedicated uh live streams if you follow me on whatnot at rob liefeld you'll get notified when i'm going live on a show right now we're, 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 we're kind of sporadic with the days that we're doing. There's a lot going on. I have graduations. I have, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, memorial services. Uh, there is the NBA playoffs. There's just end of the year school functions with kids and weddings. And oh my gosh, we're getting to that age. So, so, so we're, we're going to weddings now. Oh my gosh, we reached that age. I am freaking old, but the whatnots will continue. If you follow me, we'll notify you. Sometimes it's Wednesday. Sometimes it's Thursday. Sometimes it's Friday. Uh, I'd love to see you over there on our live streams again. I offer up all manner of unique and and uh, and and uh, exclusive variants. We have multiple Deadpool exclusive variants, Battlestone Extreme variants, uh, Spider-Man whatnot variants, stuff that you're only going to get from me on that live stream. You'll learn what a blood splatter Liefeld chisel is, a drop shadow chisel. If your head is spinning, tune in. I am talking to you directly into the camera for the entirety of the show. Uh, we don't have somebody else selling you or, or putting stuff for auction. It's me. It's Rob. 
I'm talking to you. I look forward to seeing you. What not? Rob Liefeld, download it. Follow me. Look forward to seeing you there. CGC is accepting all submissions right now through July. You guys, your number one uh, ask of me is, can I send my book into you to get signed? Yes, you can through CGC. Go on their website. Look up Rob Liefeld in the news section. They're going to have a Rob Liefeld press release about Rob Liefeld doing his first ever in-house CGC private signing. Click on that. Get the details of how to get your book, whatever it is. People are sending me photos every single day. My earliest work on Megaton, Hawk and Dove, covers that I did for books like Checkmate, Teen Titans. They're sending me X-Force, New Mutants, Youngblood, Captain Americas. I can't wait to sign all these books at the end of the summer. In early August, I will be going to Florida in person, spending uh, uh, several days, they've been telling me now, uh, with, with the submissions that are coming in. I have never done a private signing with CGC. This is my very first. Some of your other talents that you've uh followed and that you that you favor those guys are on their third or fourth cgc private in-house signings i've never done one i have never done one be part of my inaugural so go on cgc's website uh get that information and get your books in okay i can't wait it's gonna be exciting hey end of every episode i just wish you well i hope you're doing good i hope uh i hope things are working out for you and if they're not ride it through you're gonna get to a better place everybody struggles everybody has trials everybody has burdens. I do. And, uh, and I am hoping that you, um, make it through that you cope, that you are successful. And I, I pray that you, um, are, are, are feeding your spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental self. Uh, times are tough. The grind is real. I pray that you are sharing time with friends, with art, with books, with, with movies, any escape that you can imagine, you know, here it comes. I'm going to suggest having a cheat meal to wash all that down with that experience. Have it over a great pasta. There is a great Italian restaurant that we love to go to in Orange. There's another one in Laguna Beach that my wife and I go to. I mean, it just, it puts that extra, I'm going to go old man on you again. It puts that extra skip in my step. And sometimes we need that extra skip on our step. Just connect with friends, with loved ones, with family. And if not, Dive into those graphic novels, that movie, that streaming show that you've been wanting to catch up with. Just let your mind release. Let let the fun uh, and the experience and the art, the music, whatever it is, take you away. Don't forget to to, to have a, a a big cup that they are now inserting um, uh, marshmallows, uh, cocoa puffs, uh, bake lays, pretzels. Uh, it's all going into your uh, in, in, into your into your. He says, peanut butter, big cup. I have them all. I may buy them by the case. Don't look in my refrigerator. The truth is out there. It's, 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 uh, it's going to be difficult to deal with. So yeah. Hey guys, fist bump right through the mic. I am rooting for you. Uh, take care of yourself and do me a favor. Come back by. I'll be here next time up. Let's get together. We will most certainly, absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon.